0: What's your gender? Oh. Go ahead.
1: Uh, it's a hard question. Not
0: for cis people. Oh. How about, okay. Uh,
1: Desc- I don't know.
0: <laughs> I don't okay. know, man. Describe your gender using only 90s and Y2K Latin American club songs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, huh. You know, I get asked this all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, I would love to say something like Suavemente, but I think that song is too happy to represent my gender. Uh, <laughs> so, maybe I'm going to go with like maybe No Te Veo.
0: Right, right. Yeah,
1: No Te Veo, that idea of like not being seen kind yeah. of.
0: Yeah, but you're just like a normal cis girl.
1: Yeah, that's part of it is there something else i feel like i'm a dog and you're the owner and you're trying to get me to spit out something i shouldn't be eating you're like honey open just let me see just let me see i know it's in there i just want you to feel supported (laughs) in your gender okay well if your gender was a 90s latin club so what would would it be
0: oh i actually don't listen to enough 90s latin club music to answer (laughs) that question (laughs) Um, so you cheated okay three words i'm a girl
1: all right all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, you got me there, you got me there.
0: Luckily, today's episode is actually about gender, the human pursuit of beauty, and the role fashion plays. Oh, so I came to the right place. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool, yeah, we're honored to have the lovely Allison Prada here to speak with us today. She is a poet, an aspiring transsexual, a lover of beauty, and... An internet personality and a true intellectual.
0: We love Allison.
1: So without further gender interrogation, I'm Evangelia.
0: And without promising that there won't be further gender interrogation, (laughs) I'm Emily. And welcome to What's Gonna Happen.
2: I think that like a big part of like my character or what I want to be on my character is the fact that I don't have to agree with like everything that I say. I just say it. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like it like lends me to be a little bit problematic. But I feel like by nature, like we're all problematic.
0: I feel like I really relate to that. Like, honestly, like, I say a lot of inflammatory things without thinking twice. Like, that's definitely also part of my character is, like, if you listen to our podcast, like, in other episodes and interviews we've done, like, I will just start talking my shit.
2: It's because I really, because I grew up in the church and I grew up in this very legalistic, like, way of thinking, like, this legalistic philosophy of, like, always having to, like, prove your goodness by what you say and what you do. And I feel like the reason why I left that is to not and so i feel like the more that like we sort of police what people say and how people say especially like in communities that are like traditionally on the margins Mm-hmm. I feel like we lose that sort of, like, spirit.
0: Yeah, you know, I was actually really interested by when I saw your TikTok, the fact that you went to a Hare Krishna gathering. Oh, my God, you saw that. You Quaker Quaker in. Gathering. We went in. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, but you know what? Like, I love that you like going to different religious gatherings because yeah. I actually like doing that, too. Yeah, yeah. And so I just, I wanted to know, like, what was your religious background and, like, what are your religious beliefs? Well,
2: okay, so I grew up Peruvian and we're Catholic. You know, we're, like but that's
1: what I thought (laughs) amazing
2: and what's your um ethnic background
1: my mom is Greek and my dad is Puerto Rican Jewish
2: oh my god you see diaspora beautiful what is what's your ethnic background
1: oh I'm just like
0: European Jewish
2: I love that what part of Europe
0: eastern Europe like pale of settlement area which is like kind of western Russia and like Ukraine you
2: know what's so funny the way I connect dots, like, culturally is, like, very fucked up. Because when I, you said Eastern European, I instantly thought, like, Balenciaga. <laughs> <laughs> What's your ethnic background? I'm Italian and German. Oh, amazing. Amazing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I grew up Christian. Um, non-denominational Christian. Mm-hmm. So, apparently, like, more hippie, more right. hipster. It's, like, one of those, like, we're not, like, religious. We just have, like, a relationship with God. Right. Things like that. But they're very religious. Um, and I guess, like, my whole history with the church would make anyone go away from the church but I found like a very interesting like opportunity to lean in closer to like these ideas of God and like what brings people to have such a conviction over a story Mm -hmm. and that's what I really enjoy and so I I love going to Hare Krishnas because not that I agree with what they say but I I, I appreciate that they worship this man who is like completely feminine Mm -hmm. but that represents like such a masculine idea who's like right next to someone who represents a completely feminine idea and they're both worshipped together, you know, Hara Krishna. Har is feminine and Krishna is like the man, um, but it's still feminine all around, you know what I mean? Hare right. Krishna is like a, it's like a man with long hair who's like very slender and thin and he like dances and he's like, you know, very traditionally feminine. I really, I really love that. And I love that they like congregate over a song, you know? I mean, they do have lectures and like sermons, but most of like their whole thing is to sing. Mm-hmm. And I love that idea. And all they have to do is like proclaim the name of God, which is very Christian in a sense. But, I mean, all religions, like, look the same.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of similarities. Like I said, like, I also like to go to religious gatherings. I just, I like um, the passion that people have. It's like going to a concert in some ways. I think I just like watching mass hysteria happen because I also love (laughs) going to protests. I mean, well, I, I don't mean, like, I like to, like... I mean that right, I we're not talking like, about
1: Astro World, like not like right, that kind of hysteria. Right? I mean that but I, I mean like I like watching
0: thing. passionate people exactly. be really passionate. I yeah. mean that I like to go to political gatherings too for the same reason. Like I went to the Trump arraignment. And oh I my was, god!
2: I wanted to go to like a Trump rally so bad.
0: Watching like the pro and anti-Trump protesters kind of yell at each other, yeah. like it really it was very so spiritually cleansing. Exactly. <laughs>
2: exactly. Exactly. exactly, and you're just like a, a bystander, you know? You're like a fly on the wall, and you just like experience like the glory of humanity you know all that's horrible and all that's beautiful about humanity is in these places that like we congregate
1: yeah it's like you make space for an entity to possess a group of people like those are structures we build that we can all feel unified in like a pursuit of a future together or a pursuit of something bigger than ourselves and then yeah. you, you get that feeling of like we are not that different from one another in this exactly yeah. and like
2: even like the things are like for example like a Trump rally or like these right, super divisive, so horrible yeah. I think like w- I don't know who lied to us and said that humans are good, um, but I feel like I feel like you see like things like that, like you're just like wow, like we, I don't agree with this person or like I don't necessarily agree with what's going on, but like damn, how human is that? Right. And how ne- in a sense necessary, you know what I mean? Because yeah. I mean, I mean, as like queer people, I'm assuming we're all queer. Yeah. Yes. As yeah. queer people, like we are so like we traditionally lied in the margins, and so I feel like what makes us so great is that we've had something to push back on. And that's what really built us and, like, that's what really, like, built our, um, like, what what we we consecrate is really, like, this, like, pushback. And without that pushback, who are we? Well,
1: that sometimes is what I worry about is that we exist within the shadows of the culture that cast us away and Mm -hmm. that I don't want too much of my identity to be in opposition. Like, I recently had someone say, like, oh, do you dress like that because you don't want boys to look at you? And I was like, oh, like... I, I don't even think about boys yeah. when I get dressed. Exactly. Like You know, like, the assumption that that's how we live, and the knowledge that that is how a lot of us live, like, you know, makes me sad sometimes that we yeah. do have to live in in reaction to other people. Yeah. That, is,
2: that, is yeah. that is a good point. It's a good point that um, I honestly think that we're able to even think about something like that because I really think, like, we're so privileged as, like, younger queer people that mm-hmm. we have the opportunity to even even like have the hope that we don't have to do that anymore you know what I mean it's such a privilege and I think that even that like that state of being is a response to everything that we have to go through because like throughout history like there was not a single moment in history where queer people um, were necessarily like free or like comfortable you know what I mean I think like we're always pushing the margins and if we're not pushing the margins we have like this muscle memory which I don't know it may be like a collective trauma response That Definitely. we that we want to be put in the margins You know what I mean? It's like something we're comfortable in um, I don't know if that's good or bad But I think it is
1: mm. I have this quote from the book Butch Femme uh, Which is edited by that Sally, right yeah, Sally Armand I love that book um, and it says, the problem, of course, with the inside outside rhetoric, if it remains undeconstructed, is that such polemics disguise the fact that most of us are both inside and outside at the same time. Any misplaced nostalgia for or romanticization of the outside as a privileged site of radicality immediately gives us away. For in order to idealize the outside, we must already be, to some degree, comfortably entrenched on the inside. We really only have the leisure to idealize the subversive potential of the power of the marginal when our place of enunciation is quite central.
2: That's interesting.
0: Yeah, I feel like I, you know, when I, I looked at your TikTok and I was watching your TikToks um, and I just, I noticed that you really value beauty and I I just like... I know a lot of queer people really intensely value beauty and really pursue beauty. How much of that do you think is like reclamation and how much of that do you think is conforming to societal norms? Like, you know, because I think it's really hard to distinguish that sometimes because I think like what that quote kind of gets at is that like if you aren't fully comfortable with yourself on the inside, if there's any self-hatred there, if you try to be subversive on the outside, often it can just lend itself to circling right back around.
2: Yeah, exactly. I honestly think beauty is one of my favorite topics because it's like, how do I say this? I think beauty is just the best. I think it's like the best. I think obviously like there is problematic aspects to beauty because like, but not because of what beauty is but like how we've interpreted beauty. You know what I mean? I feel like just going back to like this idea of like being human, I think like that's a part of it. It's the fact that we're able to sort of like experience beauty and long for beauty and i think that's what gives us a reason to live and so this beauty as an idea is something that is just so it's so beautiful i just love the beauty of beauty it's something that lots of religions kill people over lots of religions create their constructs over it's what makes us want to get up in the morning and do our hair and do our makeup and Mm -hmm. that's the reason why we want to make friends and why we want to write and why we we want to make podcasts is (laughs) because we want to sort of like in a sense, we want to like live in this idea of beauty and we want to sort of take part in this tradition of beauty. I,
0: I like that you're talking all this stuff about beauty. Like what and is I it? Agree. Yeah. yeah, but I like, what is, what do you mean by beauty? What does it mean to
2: you? Um, that's a really good question. I think beauty is like, I don't know. I feel like conceptual categories like this are like not really like adept to like definition because I feel like once we define something, we sort of like limit it. But I I do think that beauty is, um, are sort of ideal it's an aspirational quality it's what people strive towards it's like this idea of like goodness in a sense
1: so do you equate goodness with beauty it's and a beauty part of it goodness?
2: it's a part of it yeah both. I
1: think well I think if you're looking at beauty as a qualia which is a subjective experience based on your personal senses and your when you use the word pursuit I think of goals and yeah. like you know Our taste is built based on what we want to see reflected in ourselves and in the world around us. So, of course, beauty to you is going to be goodness to you. Whether aesthetic beauty equals goodness, that's like obviously not, if that's what you're asking. But when it comes to like a subjective experience of beauty, I, I would think there would always be goodness in beauty.
0: I mean, yeah, I think, you know,
1: I like beautiful things. We all love beautiful things. But also, beauty doesn't just have to be beautiful things that are visually beautiful. It can also be beauty in, like, a greater sense.
2: Yeah, I I think that... um I think there's a kind of fascism to beauty as well. Like there's like... I
0: actually, I was saying that earlier. I was saying that like, I think that pursuing beauty really intensely and really valuing it is a little bit fascistic. So I think fascists really like fetishize beauty. Of course, a very Western kind of beauty. Yeah.
2: I think when we talk, when we like criticize beauty, it's like really like our interpretations of like what is beautiful and beauty, beauty when it's materialized. That is something that... Can be like open for critique, but I think beauty is in a sense almost like God, right? How we interpret God is a different kind of thing but but right. there's beauty, and then there's also something that that I strive for more than beauty, which is like the sublime and right. something that is like
1: beauty is kind of like a vehicle or a catalyst for understanding the sublime like if you value something like innocence because that's something that connects you to that sublime and that soul feeling then maybe you'll like things aesthetically that are more innocent or bring that out like that kind of it's like a communication i feel like experiencing beauty makes me feel like a vessel more than anything else because that's the the lens i speak through with my art and stuff it's like a connector it's like a
0: tool for self-actualization essentially Yeah. kind of like what you connect to on a spiritual level on whichever level like that is what beauty
2: it it can be yeah it can be but I think beauty is like something that is so expansive that it is that (laughs) it is that beauty is horrible and it's grotesque and it's beautiful and it's the best thing in the world you know what I mean Um, and I think that is like a unique position of like beauty I think beauty is like the mediator between us and the sublime so like the sublime is something that is like it's like Almost terrifying. Yeah. That is like what what the well, sublime is.
1: And even when I think of the way that you're recognizing the fascism in beauty, that exists because there is an alternative to beauty, which is ugly. And that's the undesirable. And that's the side of society that nobody wants to be on. That's the other that, you know, can be a group that's assumed by any angle of society. But ultimately beauty can't exist without ugly and that is like almost a trapping feeling in times like you know but I the love race. the idea
0: that like beauty and ugliness are connected and intertwined yes, they have even. to
1: exist together yeah. yeah,
2: I think it's like I don't know I think it's like very cool I think <laughs> it's very cool I think beauty is the one thing that directly like punctures the soul That's that's beauty and I think it's unlike any other thing you know what I mean Um, and so, yeah, I love to talk about beauty and I love to sort of like incarnate beauty. Beauty is sort of like a mythology that, that you just need to embody. Like you can't really read too much into it. You just have to like take it, take on its garment and just like wear it and be Mm it and then witness it and then proclaim the, the gospel of beauty. You know what I mean?
1: What are some things that you find beautiful?
2: Um, some things I find very beautiful is that cat right there. (laughs) That's very beautiful. Um... I think in a sense, like myself, (laughs) I think what's beautiful is uh, old people, babies. The sort of like contemplation of things is completely beautiful. I think religion is very beautiful. Um, Dying is very beautiful.
1: Mm -hmm. I like beauty as a placeholder for fascinating, enthralling, invigorating but not necessarily good because you yeah. know at first when i'm listening to the things that you're saying i was like are these just things that she likes yeah. you know are they things that are like sweet you know mm-hmm. but if you replace the word beautiful in all those sentences it doesn't quite make sense there's so much nuance that's added when you say beauty and yeah. what is beautiful there's like a sense of stepping back and almost taking on like that creator or like like joining with God in a way at admiring taking that place of gratitude where, yeah. which we talk about a lot here I mean gratitude yeah. super important to me and, and admiring beauty seems like the best way of embodying gratitude sometimes yeah
2: beauty holds our ideas of like God and things like that and so like you can really substitute every, anytime when, when you talk about beauty you could substitute it for like our ideas of God mm-hmm. um, beauty is, is godliness it is godliness it is God um, it, it's just I think like beauty is You know what I mean? Like, it is these, like, adjectives, but it, like, really, like, transcends all those adjectives. Like, it just is. Just like love, you know, Mm -hmm. beauty and love. It just is.
0: Yeah, I think it's so interesting how, like, when you approach those same ideas from kind of a more, like, I think like when I heard you talking about that like my first thought was I instantly thought of the way that fascists fetishize beauty and I feel like because when you approach those ideas from a western capitalistic materialistic perspective like it immediately lands you there. Like if you say beauty is godliness and you come from that western socialization then immediately you're like, "I'm gonna be a
1: fascist now." <laughs> like I yeah. just feel like that's what happened. Or but- yeah, like we were talking before you arrived, we were we had like kind of a debate about your video where you talk about peacocks and
2: um sexual <gasps> Oh my god! Um, why did y'all go in? <laughs> we, I mean, yeah,
1: we, we had a debate. We had about a debate. It. Yeah. Okay.
2: Uh, yeah. So, so oh my I'm really
1: curious about. So first off. Um, I'd really like you to explain what yeah. that video kind of intended. I
2: honestly don't even remember. For sure. But you guys could like debate. Yeah, we can. Most of the time I'm wrong. Okay. But um, I, would love, yeah. I would love to hear what you guys have to say so, about peacocks. So yes. the
0: video was essentially saying that like you said that you love the idea of sexual selection mm-hmm. and how like peacocks are like beautiful to attract mates and like they have to be beautiful in order to survive like they actually are like are kind of like it doesn't help them run away from predators they have those long ass tails but it makes them beautiful which makes them
1: at like a like disadvantage in the natural world in the regular survival order but it it does put them at an advantage in like an opulence way in attracting mates right
0: and I was saying like oh, I think it's kind of right-wing and almost <laughs> fascistic to apply Darwinian concepts to human social behavior. Right, and okay. my argument was that
1: <laughs> it's a subversion of a Darwinian concept because it's about how like nature favored beauty for the sake of reproduction instead of for the sake of survival. Yeah. And that it's kind of, it, re- it just reminds me of like the trans experience of choosing beauty or aesthetic because it it's what you identify with over safety
2: at times. I mean, yeah. I have two points to say. <laughs> it is probably very right-winged what I said. <laughs> it, it probably is that what you just said as well. Um, I think that the thing with language and the thing with speaking about things um, is that, first of all, I'm not a biologist. And so I don't know right. too much about what I'm I saying. I mean, we aren't either. So like... Yeah. Um, and so I think like when the the funny thing with language is that you'll never get to where you want to be with language. Mm-hmm. And so why not decorate decorate your words. Right. So and when so, she
1: said she, that came up because she said, well, she says she loves sexual selections <laughs> yeah. so, And I go, no, she's just a girl. She loves no. the idea because it relates, you know, like so I, we got caught up in the it was, semantics. But it of was it it. completely
2: philosophical in a sense right. that poetry is philosophical. And so and so Right, it's uh, like a
1: narrative telling right. of it like using yeah. the peacock as a vehicle instead of political ideology. And, of. you know,
0: I, I came to that conclusion eventually, like, um, because I feel like I'm very hypercritical of, like, that kind of flowery, esoteric, conceptual language because I am so used to, like, you know, you don't know me, but uh, one thing about me is that I, like... I'd love to know you. uh, I spend a lot of time, like kind of, I have this fascination, kind of a morbid curiosity about like online, like really right-wing fascist communities. I'm not right-wing myself, but like, you know, I feel like you (laughs) You you have to know your enemy. And so, you know, and it's a lot of them can get into these beliefs Through that kind of flowery, spirituality, yeah, yeah, way of thinking, and so, like, I get really hypercritical of that language because I'm like, before you know it, you're a fascist. That's the next step.
2: I'm a poet. I think a lot, but in the sense that, like, I think like I'm not very concrete in what I say because I, I, I really worship the abstraction of like you know words and things like that. And honestly, yeah, people can probably take it and spin it and things like that, but like is that my responsibility? You know what I well, mean? Well, that's my question. Is it? Is it, right. is I, it like, but it, is it? That's a great question. <laughs> am, is it, am I, like, a, in a sense, like an influencer? Um, I don't get paid for anything, you know what I mean? And so it's like, I... Mean, and, and if you got paid, would that
1: mean you had more like of a influence right, over things? Right. I honestly think of, in,
2: sen- in things like that, like, they're like what Nietzsche said, like, there are no facts, only interpretations. Um, <laughs> True. And in a sense, like, if you do take it into a right-wing thing, you probably already had that idea in you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, me talking about peacocks and beauty... Um, makes you want to, like, worship Hitler, like, it's not up to me anymore.
0: Like, <laughs> I mean, I like definitely agree that, like, yeah. you know, you're, you're not responsible, like, if somebody interprets that to mean, like, yeah. oh, so we must do eugenics. Like, that's, that's not your fault. Just, like, it's not Nietzsche's crazy. fault yeah, yeah. that Hitler and the Nazis exactly. took his
1: ideas <laughs> and ran with it. Yeah. Like, I'd be mad as hell. Honestly, exactly. i like, that is
2: not what I meant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, but it's very fascinating how humans do things to sort of, like, um... Affirm their well, belief systems. That, that.
1: Yeah, it's like you reach for what speaks to you, yeah. and you know we take that role of both the reacher and the speaker. And you you don't really get to choose what gets caught, and, yeah. and, or even what you put out necessarily. I believe that all of us kind of pull from a collective consciousness <laughs> in a way. I mean, think about what happens when you follow a train of thought, or you enter flow state, or you just let yourself talk. Like we're not constantly thinking of every word that happens, yeah. you're tapping into something that I am outside. never thinking exactly. Before I speak. Exactly.
0: <laughs> exactly. And that's
2: why like most I'm of the so time. I'm so tapped I, in. Yeah. And that's why I look forward to disagreeing with myself. Yeah. it's like yeah. it's like, oh wow, like why would you say that? <laughs> yeah. Or like man, damn, I agree and like damn you kind of ate with what you said. <laughs> um and that's why I really think like I don't I don't want to take really too much ownership over what I say because like right. when I think it's just me sort of like putting my like stamp of approval yeah. on something yeah, I, that think, I don't really yeah. own. And in a sense, like I can't really explain it. I, it's I totally. think it's a good mentality.
1: It's so healthy and it's really yeah. the way that we need to level ourselves because I think right now we're struggling a lot with how much responsibility each of us is assigned as a user of the internet, someone who's sharing information. Like I said about like kind of the speaker and receiver roles, like we play both so hard and on such an elevated platform. And everything happened before we could create social conventions to follow. So now people don't know how much we owe each other. You hear someone of like a high caliber who gets canceled, say, so, Well, I was only like fourteen when that happened. And you're like, yeah, shut up, whatever. But yeah. like, if it happens to us, we'd say the same thing. And like, you know, we talk about cancel culture a lot and how that manifests. And like, it's a frustrating topic. Yeah. But like, it, it's interesting that we don't know our social responsibilities.
2: I, I think that like, I don't know, I feel like we will always fail when we sort of like expect us in reality to abide by the social etiquette of the internet.
0: Yes. Yeah, so um, and I think
2: that we don't know the difference between like reality and the internet now mm-hmm. um, yes. and so I think like we sort of expect to abide by this like right. etiquette or like this and culture we and don't know
1: the difference between we who we are online and who we are in real life in real like life. not yeah. only not understanding like the social convention differences but even our identities I mean sometimes I find myself looking at my own Instagram like this is me like this yeah. is me like this is yeah. how I am in real life because in a sense that's the avatar you assume when you go into this online world so how, like drawing that divide is crazy and then you, you you're someone who has like a big following so how do you kind of like make i that honestly oh
2: my goodness it's like not my fault that people agree with me um and so what, i'm always so, saying this. so what i <laughs> very like self-centered huh but um i i don't know so the reason why i wanted TikTok or like why i did tiktok is because it was such an easy way to like remember it's like my notes app in a sense like i i write and so in order for me not to forget this train of thought i like say it um, and it's very cool because you could like structure like what you say and how you say it into a video Which serves the structure of an essay or for the structure yeah. of like yep. just like how you think and it, I, it really does It does a great job archiving like what you think.
0: Yeah, um, you can do a lot with like yeah. the format of TikTok exactly. and like these videos Yeah,
2: and so is it my fault people like what I say or people <laughs> disagree with what I say because there are a lot of people that do disagree with what I say um No, but I kind of like the controversy.
0: Oh, yeah. And I I just
2: love the fact that people on TikTok appreciate something that I have to say. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That really isn't like a get ready with me or things like that. It's very cool. It's very cool.
1: But then when it comes to like kind of angling yourself towards this audience of people who now expects you to say things, it's not that it's a negative thing. I mean, yeah. we we're experiencing it even with having like public long form conversation. Yeah. Like it's insane to even think that hundreds of people listen to just us talking to each other yeah. and it's it's a beautiful thing, but at the same time like you Thank know, God. you've kind of Talked what?
2: There's like a weight of responsibility
1: on <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry. No, I was like, yeah, I'll like shake it off. I time. think crazy things. Like, oh, yeah, podcast. yeah. Oh God, like crazy things. And we've never gotten any like <laughs> negative backlash, like knock on wood, but like everybody is super receptive. Coming three, yeah. two, one. <laughs> I'm reading the class um, now. But I think about like, you talked about taking on the voice of the narrator when speaking to people and why do we take on kind of like the man voice when we pathologize things and angle ourselves outwards. So like kind of where do you feel like putting on that part of yourself comes into play when you are speaking to this audience that's kind of waiting for you?
2: I think like there's a very uh, special quality between like with humans is that we're like incredibly like self staging, which is the reason why I love fashion, because I do think like fashion is sort of like materializes like this like if life is a stage and fashion dresses at stage which is why I love fashion in that sense because it points to tragedy um but I also I sort of like take on that like mantle in my own life is that I only am who I pretend that I am Mm -hmm. and so I do take on this role of like an intellectual academic person because I think it serves a certain purpose um but well I think it
1: serves a purpose for people to see someone like you in that position taking that level of authority and taking it unapologetically yeah. like right. I find it really important that you speak with conviction even if your whole thing is that you're not necessarily attached to everything that you yeah. say I think that's a great
0: way of thinking about it to be open and kind yeah. of always being to ready speak, yeah, to yeah, speak, speak your, your mind, mind but speak your mind it with, with
1: confidence so that yeah. people take you seriously especially it's important that you take yourself seriously and that is a responsibility that you have as a queer person as a person of color yeah. you know especially as a trans woman like these yeah. are all these things that you carry and I think I don't know if you realize that you do but that's part of like your conviction is part of why we invited you here and we take what you say so seriously that's so
2: interesting because I that's very interesting because I didn't see that but I think a big part of like this sort of like performance of life is that you don't make up your life other people make it up for you Mm -hmm. um and so yeah like I do maybe as a queer person take into account that thing or like me being a trans person and speaking on something that is like Philosophical, like you know what I mean, or something like that. I didn't see it like that. I didn't want to do it in that way. But now that you said it, um, it brings sort of value to what I do. And so I think it really does, it doesn't make what I say valuable. It makes like what you see and what I say very valuable. Yeah.
1: And that like abstraction of ego is the most important part and it's why what you say resonates because you do that thing where you let it go once you yeah. let it out and that yeah. part lets it easy to attach for us because we don't feel like oh well we have to believe what you believe because of your background or whatever it is you're throwing things out there and we can catch them and if we catch exactly. them or not you know, you're know and you're good at that I think a lot of queer people are good at that and maybe it's because a lot of the time our opinions we kind of have to sneak them into places we kind of have yeah. to be like hey like you know I'm hearing that a lot of people are really liking this you know maybe we'll do that like I, every time you know in my like, day job that I want to, like, kind of put an idea through. It's like, you know, oh, this is doing really well. It's (laughs) like that kind
2: of thing. We, like, live in between, like, like, reading in between the lines.
1: Yeah, we live between worlds, and we have to oftentimes make people understand opposite worlds from each other and hold those dichotomies. Yeah,
0: because I feel like, you know, queerness is, like, can be visible, but it's also
1: sort of an invisible identity. I have like, I have like straight cousins who are like, you know, like, I do. I have cousins. I mean, oh my God. Yeah, right. They were like, like asking me how I have sex and stuff. And I was like, i answering their questions genuinely cause it's like their curiosity I found endearing and, right. and like they were genuinely curious. And you know when I was explaining like what like a, like a top is to them, they're like, like right. why would you even ever want that role? Like it's just like those all kind of things, you don't understand how close that's tied with someone's identity. You don't right. understand like the clothing expression. Like once they reacted with just like confusion, I realized that like there are so many layers that they yeah. will never penetrate unless they sit down and read the damn books. Like we all had right. to
2: too. I think it's so interesting because like <laughs> our close proximity with queerness that we forget that some people are not queer
0: yeah and we
2: like forget that like oh my goodness like queerness is such a force and it's so in a sense maybe it is disgusting or maybe it is like like so not normal you know I mean? <laughs> and there's and
0: beauty so, in the disgusting and it's just like
2: so yeah it's honestly such a privilege to like Embody this role of like being a queer person you know what I mean I think yeah. it's like, I think like, it's
1: it's demanding in ways that make people feel like it's personal like yeah. even going to like family's house and having my legs unshaved and stuff and then being like never having seen you know what they perceive as a girl with hairy legs so you know I don't get it. Oh they're goodness. like they're like what the fuck what, did you forget and How I'm like through? yeah I forgot for two years
2: so <laughs>
0: like- my grandma gifted me a razor for my birthday right. last yeah. year <laughs>
2: and like what she said about like queerness that's like a response. I don't think it's like us responding. I think it's like people again give us this role of like we are responding to something because they're responding to it. Right. But we're not necessarily responding like Right, we're just who we are. Right, even
1: even yeah. when they say, oh, "Well, you guys demand to be different." They always say that, and I'm like, "You made
2: us different." Exactly. It was, you well, I actually,
1: I think, like being queer, like you're
0: automatically a little
1: different. Well, that's their and fault. That's okay. but, I mean,
2: nobody's saying. I think it. that's like the etymology of the you, word, right? right. Odd. Yeah, yeah. So it's different. You're, I think like queerness at its best is a, is a hand extended, um, because I think queerness I, a lot, especially like in this like Western world. Um, I think we've defined queerness to be, like, a self-identity, which it is a self-identity. But I think, like, maybe it's me being a little bit prophetic, but, like, in the future, I think it's going to be very redundant to like dwell in queerness as a self-identity because I think queerness really is a responsibility to like the society that we live in. You know what I mean? It's a responsibility to be queer. It's a burden, but it's so worth it. You know what I mean? It's it's an expensive What is the
0: responsibility?
2: Um, I think queerness is always stuck in the middle between like what is and what's going to be. And so we have responsibility to sort of secretly lead culture in a certain way. So you're, so you're saying uh, like trend lean in into... Yeah, we, we are. We are. And oh, we that are. Is the right? yeah, absolutely.
1: But... But the idea of leaning into ourselves as these quiet mediators that like kind of move culture aside in like places that you don't see. I mean, obviously, we're trying to get representation so that there's credit for those things. Right. But,
2: like what is the responsibility of being queer? I think it's not something that's like said. I could say what I think the responsibility of being queer is. And in, a, in like a superficial sense, like we are the trendsetters. But I think also like... In a sense, morally, maybe if we don't lead the culture, we question the culture and we question what is moral and we question what is good and what is bad and what is queer. There's a know lot know? of
1: self-sacrifice yeah. wrapped up in that though. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I think a lot of us are like, God damn, why do I have to do it? I don't yeah. want to do it. Like, why? <laughs> you know, and that's that like the mourning for straightness or for cisness that a lot of us go through when we're making that transitional period. I remember realizing that I was never going to be able to escape this no matter how hard I tried. Right. And then having to be like, okay, Okay, like, I, cause I knew it was a burden. You know, I knew it was gonna be this thing where I'd have to carry the weight of a culture that isn't ready for the kind of person that I am. And yeah. that's like, it's not just my own identity; it's all of their demons too. That's one of the most frustrating things about being queer is that everyone always tries to say we're so sensitive, but we're also dealing with like double the weight of everybody else. And then talking about intersectionality, like the more marginalized identities
2: you have, the more weight of other people you have to carry. I think. That is true. I think it is a burden and I think right now it's not going to not be a burden and so I think like you've got to learn how to carry it well yeah. and we do carry it well. You know what I mean? Um, we
1: know gay people are a burden. Oh so, like, yeah. <laughs> but the,
2: I mean yeah that,
1: that, that is true. That is true. Um, but I think like, uh, like the burden is dealing with the other gay people. Yeah. Yes. Well as two yeah. girls and lesbians the burden is dealing with the other parts of the community. No, <laughs> um, yeah. It's, I mean in it
2: sounds like it's very easy to love someone else but like it's very hard to love someone who's like in your family. You know what I mean? Like right. someone who's right. like you. Because I do, I'm very hypercritical of queer people. Uh, right. Yeah, so yeah. are uh, we. Trans we are
1: very hypercritical. I actually wanted to ask you kind of like, within all of this, what do you think some of the differences between being a binary trans person and a non-binary trans person oh God, would be? Uh,
2: I'm going to get canceled.
1: We, we talk about this stuff a lot. Like we have all kinds of queer people who talk about I think about it's just not the same. Beliefs.
2: Well, first of all, I think like, um, that's a vague question. Can you give sure, me be a better for question? Sure. Yeah. Oh, not like, a better but a more specific question. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like in terms of I guess navigating like your social roles and like finding your way through gender, you know, like, you know, have you ever had like non-binary as a stepping stone, or did
2: you no. just like transition? You didn't have that
1: experience. Yeah. I, but in what you see online and like how people interact, like, do you notice?
2: Yeah. Um something that I've I've done subconsciously since the beginning of like my sort of like being socialized as queer is that I've never identified myself. I've given my identity to others Mm -hmm. Um, because it's really just something that I would rather not deal with because like I would go crazy if I was conscious about the way that people misgendered me or the way people socialized me. And so in a sense, um, I think a lot of... That's how I
1: feel too. And then they all tell me that I'm
2: repressed. Whatever. (laughs) I mean, in a sense, like, okay. But I think like... A big part of my identity is not how I self-identify, but it's how I'm identified. And whether it's my queer life or whether it's how I am as a person or whether it is my ethnic background or whether it is my intelligence, you know what I mean? Or like every aspect of myself, um, there's a level of self-identity that's important to sort of motivate how you express yourself in, in real life, in society. But a big part of it is how you're identified. I didn't want the burden of like, for example, me as a trans person, always having to sort of like proclaim my gender identity or proclaim my pronouns. It's exhausting. And also because the fact of the matter, personally for me, I look like a man. You know what I mean? Or like I am socialized as a man, as a male. And so, of course, people are going to misgender me. And it's something that I can't take personally. And so a big part of like my, to keep my sanity is to give my identity to others. And by doing that, motivate me to sort of like commit to this role of the feminine, and commit to this role of who I am psychologically, philosophically, spiritually, and whatever the hell, you know what I mean? Because I don't move in the body of a female. That's a fact that I'm okay with, because that is what makes me transgender. Um, and I think that's the difference between a non-binary person and a transsexual, is that there are no prerequisites. Um, right. You don't need a gender dysphoria to be non-binary. Of course there are non-binary people that are transsexuals and that have gender dysphoria. Um, because identities intersect. Right, and so yeah. I'm in the process of, of becoming a transsexual. That is a goal for me. And so, in a sense, my goal is to be a transsexual woman. It's not to necessarily be a woman. Does that make sense? Yeah, of because um, I think, sort of like, womanhood is something that is, even for cis people or for transgenders or transsexuals, womanhood is something that's not given to you, you have to earn it. How There's, do you earn it? There's, and it's gender is cultural, right? And so there's different cultural rites of passage for womanhood. A lot of the times people who have vaginas or like biological women. Um, it's when they get their period or for like Hispanics when they get their quinceañera or, or there's different ways, you know what I mean? Or maybe you become a mother. Or maybe there's certain things in life that, like, force you to become a woman. So
1: you feel it is a personal experience. Yes. And there are certain it's times... It's a personal experience
2: and it's a social experience.
1: And it's a social experience. Yes. Because, you know, there's plenty of mothers who give birth and they're like, I don't feel like more of a woman. I don't feel like right, right, a right, mother right. at exactly. all.
0: I feel like for a lot of cis women, the moment that you kind of become a woman, at least to me, like, the moment I started to feel like a woman is when I kind of went through puberty and, like, men started And you were socialized as a
2: woman, right? Yeah. There is a sort of... There's a rite of passage... In that sense. And so for transsexual, it's completely different. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But there is a sort of like crossing that threshold of womanhood. And so I, right now, personally, I feel uncomfortable calling myself like a woman or a transsexual woman. Because that for me is a goal that I'm that I'm so eager to go through. And it's, and it's a sort of like it's a challenge that I'm so eager to commit to. It's a role that keeps me up at night because I, I'm excited to do that. You know what right. I mean?
1: So is there... When you say you give your identity to other people, is yeah. there any part of you that disagrees if someone were to assign something to you? Like, oh my God, of course. I, yeah, so yeah. so then, yeah, so where does that come in and, and what do you do with that energy when that happens? Like, I, I've been calling you like a trans girl, a trans yeah. woman this whole time. Which is great. You know,
2: I, I really appreciate it. I really but appreciate I don't
1: it. know. I was just, I no. mean, I'm making my own assumptions. I No, 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 yeah. Ask. And
2: that is something that um, I'm honestly grateful for. Um, but it's not something that is good that. Um, is given to me. You know what I mean? I live life, and I go to work, and I live in New York City When where people, yes, sometimes do socialize me as a woman, right. um, maybe in a sexual way, or when it's convenient for them. Right. Um, but most of the time, you know, you, they use he can pronouns. And it's uncomfortable for me. Yeah, it is, because right. I, I don't identify with that, but it's a reality for me. Right, being
1: inconvenient is exhausting. Yeah. Like, when you use yeah, that word exhausting, I, I think about that a lot. I think about that when I choose not to change my pronouns or like look deeper into gender identity outside of like be a cis lesbian gender identity for myself because I just feel like other anything other than that is a declaration that you know I wouldn't want to have to like take up space to make or like you know that that idea of an aspiration like you you kind of brought up the idea of um, a body existing like I guess in constant motion and existing in the future of itself like you're not you're not living in the body that you currently and stay you're constantly becoming and you're constantly fixating on a reality where you you look a way that is more aligned with yourself and that's just like, that is exhausting. It's so tiring. I think
2: think it is. I think the trans sort of vocabulary and trans discourse now is like this whole like idea of like affirming and it's, you know, trans is beautiful. A woman is a trans woman is a woman, things like that. It's very beautiful. It's very flowery. It's true. Right, but that's not how it feels when you look in the mirror. Exactly. And I really, I really want to stay like in this affirmation of the present for me. And so right now, the reality for me is that being transgender or wanting to be a transsexual is very disgusting. It's not comfortable. I'm going through the medicalization process of being transgender, and so you're you're forced to think of your future. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're forced to think of who you're gonna be, and it's not necessarily pretty. And it's not necessarily something that I want to go through. It's something yeah. that is going. There's to- like almost
1: like a like a moral <laughs> questioning that comes into, yeah, it. and I don't know. Exactly. I don't know if I'm projecting. No, but you're like, totally right. Sometimes when I look in the mirror and I think about like whatever surgeries that I want to get, you yeah. know, on my body, I think like you know, am I, am I taking the reins from God? Am I like, you know, am I supposed to be doing this? Like, is this my fate? But who cares? I mean, you do. Well, yeah, like, and I'd love to, and then I hate on myself. Why do I care? Why would I care? It doesn't matter, Never mind. You know, that's kind of how the conversation goes. Yeah, I I think like. But there's a lot of shame involved. Yeah, and there's a lot of shame. And
2: there's a lot of being ashamed of the fact that, oh my God, like it's, it's so, even just like being okay with the fact that you're queer in general, it's not pretty in a sense. You know what I mean? Right, it's
1: really ugly. It's a lot, it's so It's so much, cr- I mean, I'm not, <laughs> look, no, like, but I don't want to speak from a point of knowing anything for sure because like, you know, you've yeah. already gone through everything. But like, even just in my experience, like I'm comfortable with pronouns or whatever. I don't care right. about any of that. But when I look at myself in the mirror, there's such a d- intimate shameful and exciting kind yeah. of experience that I have that yeah. I don't know what name to put it to it or exactly. and it doesn't seem to make sense because like you said I think there's a lot of narrative constructed around like there's this aspirational thing. Oh yeah just you know go on T. Yeah get exactly. surgery. It's all so easy. You just you just you know build the bear yourself. Dangerous. Yeah. You know and it's dangerous. And so like I think having like an unmediated territory about these kind of things lead it, it to be like there's no nuance. And yes. so I search for things like books that have this academic language, like, you know, or videos like yeah. the ones that you've made where you kind of talk about how gender shows up in nature or in the world outside of man and woman, you know. So looking at things outside of that, it's, it's very new. So it's Yeah, the, I think. Yeah.
2: I think, well, in general, I'm just, like, sick of this affirmation politics. Because I—that's my job, you know? And that's the job of, of, like, my friends, and you know what I mean? But, like, like, like—because like, I'm going through, like, psychiatry and therapy, and and I really don't want, like, for example, like, a gender-affirming therapist. Because, in a sense, like, I don't need you to affirm me. I need you to sort of push back and, like, tell me if this is okay. Or, like, you know what I mean? Give me therapy. Or things like that, you know what I mean? And so affirmation, like, politics of, like, flowery, beautiful things, like— that's not what I need.
0: I mean, do you think that just for yourself or what about I for think other myself. people? I think, do you I think, think that affirmation politics can be helpful for other people?
2: It can be helpful, but I think we sort of like drown and like we kind of, we can drown in it. Where my personal opinion is that, is that like a lot of it, like we don't need to be affirmed all the time. You know what and I mean? Like I we don't need to be celebrated in a all the time.
0: where queer people are put on the margins and oppressed and often like don't really know themselves, like having people like, yeah, I mean, to us, to people who are more in it, it seems silly, but maybe to like people who are just on their path to self-discovery, having those people saying, no, like you're fine, you're valid. Yeah, it's a
2: that's, good definitely, thing. that's definitely, that's definitely well, yeah, necessary. I don't think yeah. anybody has
1: a problem with validation, but the idea that you are supposed to be like decisions
2: are okay what you want to do is okay like immediately
1: when you open the conversation with no nuance immediately saying hey sometimes I feel this way and it's like oh yeah like that's because like you're this and like just do this well yeah I think that kind of
0: gets into like when people get too intense with labels and like try to I think it's honestly kind
1: of trying to conform to the way that there is like a path for a straight cis lifestyle like queer you know irregular queer timelines so people are trying to build a queer timeline and that just also like can feel even more more polarizing because when you say like oh well first you realize and then you do this and then you yeah. do this that's like that's never going to be the individual experience because gender is a qualia and it is subjective and it does have to do with yeah. however you know like even you know I knew I was gay from when I was really little yeah. I, I was super gay I did a lot of gay things and then when I was in middle school and high school I kind of like tried to shut it out and then I came back to it whereas I know a lot of people who didn't find out at all until later on are people who, who thought they were <laughs> and then weren't like you well, know there's the all these
2: different timelines so yeah, yeah. so I think I there's different like phases. There's different phases of like awakening. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I mean validity is important. Like when I was like, when I was little, and I and I was the only one that knew that I was queer. I mean maybe everyone knew that I was queer, but didn't like it. And When I was the only one that that wanted to accept myself as queer. I needed somebody to be like, yeah, like, right. it's okay. And I had Lady Gaga. You know what yes. I mean? Yes. And so, yeah, definitely, like, validity and, like, affirmation is but important. But I, I think but nuance, too, because
1: I found way more comfort from watching, like, ContraPoints videos when I, I mean, was me too. to terms yeah. of my queerness.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's good to have, like, a nuanced opinion, because it, yeah. I, I, I know what you guys mean. Like, it can almost feel like being babied, in a sense. Because, yeah, like, right? oh no God, matter yes. what you do, it's okay. Just do what
1: you want. Like, it's I'm like, a person. we're people. We're I remember when Born This Way came out when I was a a little kid and I knew I was gay but I didn't want to be and I saw it on MTV and I literally broke down crying in a bad way I was like I hate this Her song s- oh. I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I was oh. like I was like I don't like it I don't know why I feel really uncomfortable and I because need to go cry true. you know and like that was it was part of it it was like someone just aggressively telling me that I was like okay and I was like no it's not though yeah. there's like something really wrong I think exactly. like I think Lady Gaga's
2: confused I'm confused
1: <laughs> we're, all we're all, all really confused, confused.
2: I, kind of, I kind of miss that anxiety you, know what <laughs> you <mean? laughs> <laughs> I kind of missed when trail. I was barely introduced to There's
0: really comedic appearance. gold in like not being out of the closet to yourself yeah. yet but like knowing that you're gay deep down yeah because that's Splashing like oh my
2: god! <laughs>
0: like every night when I was like in high school I would take an edible convince myself I was gay and then be like no that was just
1: the drugs talking yeah, and then like be like no, no. when and Brittany and Santana would kiss We'd I would go splash
2: my face with cold water every I'm time crying oh my goodness really yeah
1: I was like I, I, I don't know what the fuck was wrong with me I would pray to God I was like please please oh. no please but
2: that was such an affirmation that you were you
1: like know? oh my uh, exactly so every time I felt that shame, it just reinforced it. So I lived in this like shame cycle. Maybe that's why I think that like shame and sex are so connected.
0: Oh, like I heard. really, that's why I the really think that like sex is that
2: shame because we're very really nostalgic for that tension.
1: Yeah, of, like, right. Yeah, you know, I mean the like, best the is, is it so the best is like when you pretend it's not supposed to be happening. Exactly oh Yeah,
2: <laughs> the anonymity. A lot of gay sex is very like anonymous. Yes. Like, the best like you know glory holds stuff like that.
0: Like, mm-hmm. like, um, so. I was wondering, kind of, you know, you're a fashion student, yes. you love fashion. What psychological need do you think fashion fulfills
2: for humans? Um, that's a good question. I'm actually writing it like a, this essay on fashion. And so I'm asking myself that's the awesome. same questions. Um, but I think fashion really does groom us with like the desire to be like more than who we are. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like intrinsically aspirational it commodifies desire in a way that nothing else does Mm -hmm. like right after the industrial revolution like it just like skyrocketed and so it's like um, Valerie Steele she's like the fashion writer she is the head of the museum at FIT and she writes that fashion is like capitalism's love child and so in a sense it is it's this like intrinsic like capitalistic need to consume for the sake of consumption Um, so that is one thing it also protects our bodies. You know, we, co- we come into this world naked and so we have to like design our way out of like this wilderness. And so with fashion also produce that. Fashion also produce or help sort of enforce hierarchies. Um, so
0: do you think kind of that, like I think that's interesting. Like do you think fashion is almost kind of what makes us human in a way? Yes. Like that oh my extra goodness. like self-actualization and that like one of the first things that humans did, at least in the myth of Adam and Eve, like when they realized yes. they it's make clothes, made clothes. yeah.
2: It's because of the fact that they had shame and they were ashamed right. that they realized
1: Fashion, They realized shame, their body. Sex. Yeah, it's yeah. all connected. Yeah, exactly. The idea of like dressing out of shame is so interesting because the idea of dressing up is a reaction, and like it, you can't wear an outfit in a vacuum. You have to wear yes. it as a response something to something else. Yeah. All of our clothing needs to be taken into context. Yeah, the idea of like butch femme and like embodying like the parody of like heterosexual couples or like mm-hmm. heteronormativity by like embodying that is a way yeah. of like rewriting the narrative of humanity.
2: Yeah, I think like um it's a western thing to dress because of shame when sort of like Westerners came to like different indigenous nations. They described, like for example, like this—I forgot his name—but he um, he came to Australia and he described this like lowly Australoids that leave a savage and naked existence. They weren't necessarily naked; they were they were like, they were clothed. You know what I mean? But what this this—they didn't um, cover their boobs. Um, the Women didn't cover their right. boobs, right? Uh, this, yeah. this philosopher Ruth Barkin she, she she writes on nudity and she says that what we consider clothes can have profound consequences because. There is no simple opposition to be clothed or being naked. And so, yeah, because the Western people, these white people were informed by what the Bible talks on nakedness is that they assumed that, oh, like you must be a savage. You must be uncivilized because you're not ashamed of your body. You don't wear clothes in the way that we wear clothes. In the same breath, like um, this, this uh, uh, I always forget people's names, but this like Aboriginal lawyer, she talks about how the um, Aboriginals, they mark the time before and after the wearing of trousers is like before and after the colonization, which is very interesting. That that clothes mark colonization and it is a symbol and it is a semiotic tool towards morality. You know, what well I mean? yeah to
0: the Western Christian viewpoint, the purpose of clothes is to cover the body, yeah. which is shameful and sinful and it's sexual. To affirm
2: it's to affirm the psychological modesty. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because there there was anthropologists who I forgot his name again but um he he talks about how modesty is a it's a psychological emotion that sort of materializes itself with clothes he writes about andamanese women who are definitely clothed but very naked in the the sense but they also show a great deal of modesty because they only necessarily wear an apron but when they want to change their apron they go to a secluded spot and change their apron you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and so in a sense for us, they're incredibly naked and incredibly, freak, immoral, incredibly right. immoral. But clothing sort of like portrays the emotion of yeah. modesty. It right. portrays the emotion of yeah. Of it's etiquette. even
1: like how Hasidic Jewish women wear wigs.
2: Exactly. Right.
1: I People like, on the outside are like, "Well, it looks like hair, so what's the point?" Right. But yeah. like, the, the point the is point. that it's supposed
0: to be like your actual hair is for your husband, and so it doesn't. It's not about
1: just covering up. The exactly. hair—it's hair, about
0: covering up your hair, exactly. right? Yes, the, the
1: personal identity is intrinsic in fashion because right. everything exists in the context of yourself and what you're consuming. Yeah. And fashion, yeah, fashion-like
2: language exists in the context of its own cultural codes. Fashion is like a mother in like apple cider vinegar
1: or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, so like it's like ever creating, ever consuming, <laughs> yeah. like its own like
2: microbiology. Yeah, it, fashion is like it's paradoxical because it exists to affirm the present and yet it's always about something else. Right, it's also
1: pulling from the past and predicting the future at the same time.
2: Fashion really, at at its best, is a verb. Like, it satisfies psychological needs, it satisfies sociological needs, it satisfies anthropological needs, maybe philosophical needs, although fashion traditionally is, like, something that philosophers try not to talk about Mm because it's something that, like, Plato, I think he said that fashion just... Decorates the body. He he considered the truth to be naked, um, mm-hmm. and so. But I
1: think if we look at the
2: clothes like hiding yourself,
1: yeah, like our, ourselves as a vessel between you know ourselves and the sublime and of God and of everything yeah. that we've kind of talked about, then our bodies are evidence that we even exist. As part of God at all, our bodies carry our souls and so yeah. adorning them is kind of like adorning God and it's kind of like yeah paying homage to something bigger than ourselves because we, we care about the way we present in a world where we're perceived.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of the times dress is material. It's also... Um Dress is written. Dress is also—it's a symbol for things. You know what I mean? Dress works a lot like language. Fashion is a lot like language. Roland Barthes, a linguist, he made a whole book about. Fashion, oh yeah, I think
1: that's so true. It's a fashion, way of communicating. Yeah, yeah. And, fla- flagging is like a, the best example of yeah. that. I think, like the idea that we s- literally speak to each other through like different
2: ways of wearing clothes, or yeah. the ways
0: that like rich people will try and wear plain clothes to try and obfuscate the fact that they're rich
2: exactly exactly but it's,
1: while flagging to each other how rich they exactly, are exactly
2: that
0: they're so rich that they don't even need to right. be flashy yeah.
2: yeah fashion sort of like makes the body into like a moving hieroglyph I think it's very fascinating and so fashion is like language but it's not language and it's its own language um but again like Roland Barcy talks about like this language of like the fashion system and he sort of like he asked the question of like, if fashion is a form of communication, if fashion is a, 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 its kind of language, then it must have its own internal syntax, it must have its own grammatical structures, and it's very important for me as like a fashion student to figure out what that is, you know what I mean? Because there is this fashion that exists materially, this fashion that exists in like, for example, fashion magazines or fashion photography, that means a lot, but also this like written fashion. Um, Diana Vreeland said, what is fashion without literature? You know what I mean? it's very interesting that the Bible mentions clothes a lot
1: what's it that you can't mix fabrics Isn't yeah, you can not mix fabrics means? things like yeah. that
2: um, but in the sense that like also like um clothes can be a substitute for the body in the sense that like Jesus in the gospel when he was like he was in this crowd and the, and this guy who was sick he couldn't reach Jesus and so he touched his Garment, and he was healed. You know what I mean? Um, and so, in that sense, fashion takes the sort of like the essence of the of of us as people. We sort of like
1: right, and we put can that use, burden onto
2: onto clothes and onto use fashion. it yeah. to
1: to define our essence, and yeah. we use right. our essence to define the clothes yeah. we're wearing. And so, there's a symbiotic relationship yeah. that makes it an extension of ourselves.
2: Dress like can you know. also be like a. It can also be completely immaterial and completely like as a symbol or a metaphor. Fashion clothes exist as metaphor for. For example, like this writer talks about the fabric of being, or like when people are investigating something, they unravel a thread, and you know what I mean. Things like that, um, in like the Gnostic tradition, and the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, or the anonymous writer, but Mary Magdalene, she writes that that the body is the garment of the soul. Us as humans, we've never been without clothes, um, and so it's such an incredible way of describing the self describing who we are as people in the clothes that we wear. And because it's something that we've never been without, is something that we ignore most of the time. You know what I mean. People who are not necessarily fashionable ignore fashion, but the first thing that they do when they wake up is dress themselves. And right. so everyone it partakes in the tradition of of clothing. Um, and because they fashion, they like it or not? yeah, and because fashion sort of commodified clothing, then everyone participates in this system of fashion. Even if you consider yourself not participating in, the, in this in this like system of fashion you still reap the consequences because you're deemed unfashionable. You're deemed unwith the times, uncultured in a sense. And so fashion is, again, synonymous with culture. I'm writing this essay and I start off saying that fashion is a shadow of our civilization. You know what I mean? Because it's always here. It's always beside us. Sometimes it's beneath us if if we don't care for fashion. But it's never away from us. It's always going to be. Um... Very fascinating. Even like we were talking about when people came to colonize, you know, the Americas or Australia or like India, they described like how we're so naked, but also it's very interesting how like when the Middle East was like occupied or like Westernized, it's the complete opposite. Oh, they're too dressed. Yeah. oh they must be ashamed oh. they must like want to like hide themselves it's something very misogynistic all of a sudden you know what I mean
0: you must be the same exact amount yeah. of dress that we are exactly more or less or less That's, yeah it's because awful. either
2: you hate yourself or you hate yourself you know what I mean right. and it's, it's just very interesting how also like like there was like these recent protests in the Middle East or like in Iran um, Over oh,
0: about the hijab, of, like the
2: hijab, yeah. And so I've seen this, these videos on TikTok where women sort of like take their hijabs off, they dance, and then they burn that hijab. You know, again, f- the hijab is just a piece of fabric, right? Um, but we this, we prescribe so much meaning onto it, and then it symbolically takes the shape of a human. This like cloth t- mm-hmm. t- takes the shape of a of a Muslim woman or a woman in the Middle East, and she burns it, sort of like burning herself, sort of burning her her ideas or the ideas imposed onto her, right. not necessarily her ideas. Yeah and she burns and she dances and it's such an incredible thing what we prescribe to like like polyester or what we prescribe to like these woven things you know what I mean again on this topic of like fashion and language I think there is a reason why there's the word text and there's the word textile you know what I mean because both exist to weave to weave weave stories to weave ideas to weave and create you know what I mean and so I, I do think that like like clothing is the thing that marks us from being sort of like primitive in a sense, along with like language, architecture, and clothing. You know yeah, because
0: I mean? clothing is like a type of language. Yes. And the- language is what makes humans human.
2: Yes, it is humans. Like the reason why we survived is our ability to create.
0: And to relate um, to community. each other, yeah. to mm-hmm. communicate. To create, yeah. yeah,
2: to create community. And when we create enough community, we create right. a state, we create an empire, we create civilization. Right. And a lot of the times, that civilization, um, the foundation of a civilization is on top of a textile. It's on yeah. top of the textile. Getting um, chills. Sim- <laughs> but it's just so fascinating. It's so fascinating that something that is so pretentious, that's something that's so frivolous. It is, it's
1: something that's been weaponized Exactly. A be- yeah. Because
2: it's a woman's thing, which yeah. is another thing. You know what I mean? Or, and a gay male thing. It's too. a gay Fashion male thing, Fashion yeah.
0: used to be for men, though. In um the Middle Ages in Europe, like, there were decrees about how men were spending all of their money on clothes. Yeah. These mm.
1: men be shopping. No, <laughs> no, they literally were like, men be fucking shopping. Yeah.
2: The male species had a tendency of, like, being very opulent. You know, yes. peacocks. The opulent peacocks are men. Even
1: like the anoli lizards, it's the male ones that have to Yeah, head. exactly. The, the I mean, most males huge are rigs. opulent. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Because because their lives are made up because they want to like attract the mate which yeah, is usually well, a female. Well I mean from
1: the very beginning we've now learned that the egg selects the sperm so the yeah. sperm women is not the it's not about yeah, Women are the selectors. Yeah, yeah it's not women about are the, the sperm right. racing it's about the sperms making themselves look the most appealing to exactly. the egg. So exactly. from the beginning men are supposed to be I mean like look now we're getting really into it but I think like men are kind of supposed to like take orders and be chosen yes. by women. Oh my god. You know, that's, that is the dynamic that we're supposed to have and they've kind of turned it around and been like, well, women are you know passive, submissive, it's meant to be at powerful. home, They're you know. Famous. But in reality, <laughs> it was women that would be the teachers yes. and then the managers of yes. life. Yes. And Everything men revolves were, around the woman. Yeah, the f- there was matriarchs. Yeah. yeah, and they were the selectors, and the women would would go and they would inspect. There's like a one African tribe I think where the women would inspect men, and they would all stand on podiums, all dressed up, and the woman would like put her leg yeah, over the one that. that she wanted. Like yeah. you know, and I'm not saying that's like the way things should be it's just the way things had been for yeah. a really that's long time that's
0: literally like men will get rejected from Tinder three times and think that that is how our society <laughs> works <Yeah. laughs> I she think didn't fucking yeah. put her leg around me <laughs> that's why I
2: love like Shira Seven like on TikTok I oh love, yeah I yeah, love yeah. her because and I love like the universe guru um, right. who are just so female they're so yeah. Feminine. I
1: worry though because I think sometimes her rhetoric takes on that narrative but then it does like is. re- oh my god you need to get into it sprinkle sprinkle yes you don't know her. No. Oh, you'd, yeah. you'd get into it. She you like she kind of is marketed as like the anti Andrew Tate, like the female she Andrew me Tate. All the time. Like she basically like teaches women not to take shit and just to like you know see men for the resources yeah. that they are and have the fun that you want to have without having to you know whatever. But she also does do a lot of content targeted towards people who are interested in being sugar babies and who are interested yeah. in kind of like financial domination situations. Yeah. And I sometimes think conflating those two things can be a dangerous pipeline for well, young girls. She's never around. hidden
2: herself to. Be like something that like like she's never hidden her agenda. that's like her true, thing. that's is, what I respect about yeah, her yeah her thing is these meant to get money you know what I mean and nice. so she's very yes. clear about that
1: right but the only thing is I worry and I think about sometimes what the feminist Adichie had said about bottom power and the idea that women oftentimes take back or reclaim quote unquote the power that they they have lost in society by leaning into it and leaning into their sexualization and trying to like you know lean into taking money. Okay, well if men want to be the providers then they should be the providers kind of sticking to that can lead women to fall into the role where they're actually getting abused again or actually not like looking at what they want out of life but rather looking at what they should have kind yeah,
2: of Yeah, I I agree and that's definitely true. Um but also I think that like is there, like, a little room for that right now? The, the, that is, that's true in a sense. I also think that, like, I I love when women just do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And I love when women sort of, like, sort of like almost, like, in, like, martial arts where they use people's power against them. Right. It's the reality is that women sometimes are backed into that corner. And so mm-hmm. a lot of the times, like, I mean, not that I could speak for, like, women in, the, in that sense because I, I didn't grow up as a woman or, like, you know, so I don't necessarily have that experience. But... But I think that, like, I don't know. I think if it works for you, then yeah. But obviously, there's political repercussions right, because you can right. sort of like represent something. The but I also think
1: feminism yeah. kind of I like think it's thing.
0: easy to glamorize things it's, like sex work, which aren't necessarily. Oh, that well, glamorous. sex work is a different
2: thing. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: She's, we're talking about like, like not. I mean, even, in, a, in a sense, that's sex work.
2: Well, fem- I, would,
0: but, I thought of sex work because, like, that's a way of like using your femininity to like gain resources, to yeah, gain yeah, money. Yeah, yeah.
2: It's definitely manipulative. It's very, um, Who's that girl? Jezebel?
1: Yeah, Jezebel. Very like that.
2: Um, I think it's uh, sort of like dark and things like that, but I think sometimes it's necessary. And so not As long like, as
1: you have A strong foundation For understanding As long as you your know what you're doing. In yeah, yeah, all of that yeah, yeah. I think
2: Yeah as long as you know What you're doing And
1: that's and the problem Is equipping people With this information For free on a public forum By just throwing dangerous. it out there And knowing how Much of a cult of personality Someone like yeah, her is that's true. You know It's like
2: Nothing without consequences You know if
1: like, you see That you're profiting And you're benefiting Then you know you have A quality about you That's getting people to listen And yeah. so there's a sense Of self-questioning That I think should come with that That I'm not sure if she does and would be not part of her brand to show to us but I wonder sometimes if if she knows knows that she is potentially like causing people to get into a lifestyle they're not ready for because they feel it's kind of almost like that affirmation politics that you talk about I think she talks
2: about that I'm not sure though, but... She
1: does. Yeah. It's just the problem with TikTok and stuff is that these things are taken out of context. Yeah, these definitely. things are all clips. The reason we made this podcast is to have more like long form conversation yeah. where you can explain shit and then it's not just people arguing like in the comments. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: That kind of thing. TikTok can get very like annoying in that sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I I love her. I learned a lot <laughs> from her. Um, but
1: yeah, I think the idea of like like... Claiming a feminine power is really interesting, and I kind of wanted to get your like what what is masculinity and what is femininity to you? We were talking a lot about these really abstract things in yeah. all these contexts, and I'm thinking for someone who just thinks of it as like it's boys and girls what's going on like what is what is masculinity and femininity outside of the male and female body?
2: That's a loaded question <laughs> um I think
1: I'm like asking for a friend <laughs> no,
2: i honestly I honestly. In a sense, I don't know. I'm also writing this thing about androgyny. So we can start at androgyny. Um, because I, I love it there. Yeah. And androgyny is such a safe space for me. I think that androgyny is like what bridges a gap in between male and female. In a sense, or the feminine and the masculine. I think like sort of like, again, like there is, I think I made a video about the masculine and feminine. You did? Um, that was and, the first
1: video of yours that I saw. Oh, my yeah. God.
2: Amazing. But I think, like, like, these concepts like this are not really adept to definition in, in that sense. But I do think that most of the time, the only way to really get at truth is through poetry or poetic language. Right. And, and people, people so,
1: don't have the patience for that because people tend to think that having... she's I'm people. Is, she's people. people <laughs> but, but also thinking about homophobic people who just kind of want are confused and angered and frustrated by this conversation of gender because it can't right. be summed up into one concise sentence because we have it in our heads that we need to streamline conversation. Yeah. It's something is made easier if it's simpler and that's I, not always true. I think, that,
2: I think that there's a problem I think that I have in philosophy where people want to sort of get the answers the same place that they got the questions and uh-huh. I think there is um, there is room for like these, lo- these logical things even even in the queer conversation like these logical analytical clear concise things which is important for politics mm-hmm. right yeah. um, and so when, when we talk about queerness as something political I think it's important to be clear with what we say yeah but when we talk about what's masculine what's feminine that invites poetic words that invites right. um, subjective experience and it invites art Do you Um,
1: ever think there could be an intersection between the poetic language of queerness and policy? Do you think that there should be?
2: I think like um, I think that's why I love like what's her name, Marianne Wilson, Um, because (laughs) yeah, yeah, I think that's her name, Williamson or whatever, (laughs) Um, because she bridges that gap. She bridges that gap, Um, and she's very concise. In a way that you can, that you know that she got her information, right, in a very poetic way. But again, in a sense of like what is what is masculine, what is feminine? The primordial force that allows everything to live is like I think it's called Shakti, which mm-hmm. is the feminine force, right? Um, and so that is what allows everything to exist, right? Um, the masculine force sort of like contains that, and so it makes it sort of tangible. Right. It makes it so that we can experience it. But I think like in a sense, the feminine embodies and the masculine mythologizes right it's a it's a the masculine is a sort of like the masculine narrates the feminine the feminine is the entire story that we live in right
1: androgyny is beautiful because it acknowledges that you can be both the muse and the creator at once yeah
2: I think like the androgynous is something that was birthed out of myth that is what that is what sort of like we base our reality on you know what I mean Um, and so I think the androgynous it is but more than that it's like it's like what it isn't. It's like what we think male and female, right? Androgynous is like man, woman. But I think the androgynous is like someone asked Jesus, um, how can I get into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus answered, well, the Gnostic Jesus said it in a very androgynous way. He said that when you make the two one and when you make the inside like the outside and the outside like the inside and the above like the below and when you make the male and female one and the same so that the male not be male nor the female female then you will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so I think the androgynous is a very, in a sense, religious idea. I think religion really favors androgyny because it bridges the disparity between who we are and where we want to be. Um, I think like, for example, like Odin in the Norse mythology, Odin, um, he's a very masculine God. He's the God of poetry and the God of like witchcraft things like that. Um, And in order for him to achieve a certain level, in order for a woman to teach him certain like magic, He needed to Mm cross-dress. And he needed to go take this journey in the vestments of a woman. And so I think there's a certain level of knowledge that the androgynous receives from the male and the female, um, but also completely in itself. You know what I mean? I think the Andeans believe that the creative force of the universe is androgynous. Because because it's like a marriage between man and woman. You know, in order to receive or make a baby, we need a man and a woman. You know what I mean? And so the baby, in a sense, is androgynous. So yeah, I think like the feminine is incredibly don't take this in a bad way, but I think incredibly destructive. It's incredibly violent. Um, it's a creative violence. It's a it's a, Entropic. Um, yeah. Okay. I think that's why like Kali in the in the in the Hindu tradition is is a destroyer. Um, mm-hmm. in the Hindu tradition a lot of like these scary terrifying yeah. gods are women
1: yeah you you talk about the difference between destructive madness and entropic madness yeah um, and I think it makes me think of the ancient Greek maenads
2: the, oh my god uh, yeah. Dionysus is my favorite topic ever because he is this Transgender god This androgynous mm-hmm. god And I think it's like He's a bringer Of civilization But he also Destroys civilization I think yeah. that's so queer
1: Yeah like the For those of you Who don't know The maenads Were these kind of Female followers Of Dionysus Who would like Howl at the moon Naked in the woods And they would drink And awesome. dance And kind yeah. of unleash Their true maniacal Hysterical and tropic selves and it all kind of culminated like their rituals would culminate in the gang murder and sacrifice of um, a bull which they would all eat
2: raw I think like in the back guy who was that that um, the main character I always forget names but the main character the emperor the king whatever he wanted to know what these Dionysian women are doing his mom was in it I think like these women were in it he wanted to know but he couldn't go because it's a mystery you know mm-hmm. so he decided to cross-dress. And once he cross-dressed, he received this sort of like, I don't know, maybe he was like hypnotized or like he received this sort of like this religious ecstasy. And he went in and obviously like his mom killed him. But yeah, I think like Dionysus is like the incredible, it's like such an incredible, he's like Jesus, I think, in a sense.
1: Well, yeah, the, I mean, the Hellenists would say that they based the, Idea of Jesus off
2: of Dionysus, off yeah. of the myth Why? of Dionysus, the Gospel of John specifically.
1: Well, first of all, he's the god of wine, so the idea that Jesus could turn water into wine comes from the idea of Dionysus that being the god of wine,
2: right? Um, and just the idea of they were both sort of persecuted churches in in the book of, in in the book of Rome in this in the the Roman Empire, right? And they were both sort of like these cults of death. You know, it's
1: Son of God the comes Eucharist, to earth, speaks yeah. for the humans. You know, that are kind yeah. of underrepresented. Like the idea, like it's very
2: much Jesus yeah. core. Um, I think that that's
0: what Dionysus.
1: Yeah, he was there for the hose, and like, you know, his whole thing was like the hedonism of of humans. Yeah,
2: he represented everything that was disgusting. He was in he was on the margins awesome. of, of civilization. And that's why um, gay people love him. Yeah, I think I think he is he's incredible because he's always he cannot be without this like other side. Like so he's this Greek god, but he's also a foreign god, which they say he came from the east. In the Dionysica, there's this like ancient epic that, that talks about how Dionysus came from Egypt. And in a sense, like Osiris is very Dionysian.
1: Well there's a lot of intercommunication there. Yeah, like no, no religion just in vacuum. Yeah. Greek. yeah, like, I think between Egypt... Well, they're very close in proximity Yeah, Egypt, Greece, and China worked together a lot, like, narratively and just had, like, a lot of intercommunication. That's why, depending on where you go in Greece, certain people will look more Asian or more, yeah. like, Middle Eastern yeah. or more European.
2: I think in the sense of, like, um, Christianity and, and this Dionysian cult, there's a lot of similarities in the Bacchae and the Gospel of John and Acts as well. There's also, like, in order for for the thinkers or the apostles to sort of like reach a certain crowd, like for example, Paul, he wanted to reach this like Greek crowd or this Roman crowd. He needed to speak on what they know, on what, you know what I mean? And so these people were worshippers of Dionysus. And so he would talk about how Christ is the true vine. Why would he say that? You know what I mean? Because they understood that the vine was associated to this God that they already knew. And so in order to reach these people, he needed to change vocabularies. And so he sort of theoretically on purpose bridged or like compared Jesus to Dionysus.
1: Mm. So not
2: that they're the same, but they represent sort of the same idea.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, if you if you think of them as stories people tell, it's just like You know, how one thing needs to exist for another. How, wait, what was it that Stephanie Myers was um, basing her books off of?
0: Oh, well, Fifty Shades of Grey is a Twilight fan fiction. Right. Actually,
2: I'm gagging. Yeah. Is that true? Yes, it is. Oh my
1: God. They changed all the names when they published it, but that it's kind of like
2: that.
0: (laughs) I see. Jesus is a Dionysus fan fiction. Kind of.
2: Kind of, but. Yeah, I think they're both very feminine gods as well. I think like uh, Pier Paolo Pasolini in one of his movies, he was like...
0: Pasolini, like the one that directed Salo? The
2: pedophile film director, yeah. Um, <laughs> he, he, t- he talks about he was like Christ, like crucified looking like a girl. Because it's true, you know what I mean? Christ is like this very patriarchal god who is imagined as something who's very feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's something very important in that. I went to Peru. And I went to like the school of Cusco and there's like these like portraits of Jesus that were made by Andean people who recognized the importance of femininity. And in this image of Christ, of like this crucified Christ, he's wearing this like loincloth that can be a skirt, but not a skirt. But in the Andes, how they imagined him, it was very specifically a lace skirt.
1: Which is so interesting that
2: like, that Christ was um, imagined through different cultures. As very feminine. And Dionysus as well. He is the feminine God. He is both man and woman. Um, both of them were born, are completely man, but born out of mortals. Um, and yeah, I, I I love Jesus. I love Dionysus. I think also like Krishna has like the same vibe to him. Mm-hmm. I think um, Shiva has the same sort of vibe to him. And they're and they're both, they both represent the bringers of civilization, but also the destroyers of civilization. They both represent this androgynous idea. Um, and that's why I just—I always just... I think androgyny is very religious. Religious really does favor the androgynous.
1: There's this quote from this book, Something That May Shock and Discredit You, by Daniel Mallory Ortberg, mm-hmm. that says, God blessed me by making me transsexual for the same reason God made wheat but not bread and fruit but not wine, yes. so that humanity might share in the act of creation.
2: Yes. I think my one of my sort of like affirmations of me being a future transsexual but a transgender um, is... The fact that I really do think, like, I was meant to be a transsexual, a transgender person. Because of this idea of, like, the same reason why religion favors the androgynous, I think, like, like in this, like, third space of being, that's where all our longings are. That's where all our ecstasy is. That's where our contemplation is. In between this question and the answer, one has to think. And one has to sort of, like, I think I my responsibility and I think my, my gift is that I, I choose to embody this this like heterotopic space. Foucault talks about like heterotopias and heterotopias are like are in between a dystopia and utopia is a heterotopia. It's almost like a liminal space, a third space of being in, in space, but I think in gender, I think we could also take like these heterotopias in context, you know what I mean? And he specifically says that heterotopias undermine language. And I think the, the reason why it's hard for me personally to answer, like, what is masculine what is feminine? What is this role of being a transgender or transsexual? What is the role of being queer? I think if we say it, we failed. You know what I mean? It undermines language. If
1: we, if we say it, we fail, but we have to keep talking about all yes, of this no matter what. I think what. it
2: just is. It's like, <laughs> like... Such
1: an unsatisfying and satisfying. It's so, yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> it is the answer to the question that the title of our but show it, asks. It
2: forces you to go on that journey and it forces you to move once you receive that answer and you're static girl you failed you know what I mean it forces you to move it forces you to what the fuck I'm not satisfied with it and so I have to figure out that answer I have to go and do it you know to do to be queer that's the role of being queer it's such a heavy burden it's like an expensive perfume that's just so worth it it's so worth it to be queer and it's something that I don't want but something that I need you know what I mean
1: well, that was so
2: beautiful. Thank
1: you yeah, that so was cool. much, yeah. Allison Prada. Oh can you tell um everyone where to find you or like plug anything? You can
2: find me on social media. You can find me. Um, I live in Batstye, so you can find me there too. Um, <laughs> just but but yeah, my 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 Instagram is Allison Prada with two A's. Um, my TikTok is. This is
1: my TikTok, my God, guys. This is my
2: TikTok, guys. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't have a Twitter anymore. Um, but yeah, you could find me anywhere, honestly. And um, I'm I, I'm writing something, and I don't know where to put it. I should I should, should, be sub-stack I, should a, or something? I should make a Substack, right? My Substack is gonna be Allison Prada. Mm-hmm. And if awesome. it's taken, then go support their work. But <laughs> I, it's gonna be Allison Prada. Okay. Um, yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you so Thank much. You. Oh my goodness, that was amazing. <laughs>
1: And with that, thank you guys for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at what's going to happen pod or on Twitter at WGH pod. And don't forget to subscribe to our Patreon where we take requests for episode topics, Q&As, and post bonus episodes every, really every once in a while.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And from the liminal space in between fashion, beauty, and gender, this has been What's Gonna Happen.